when I was young, growing up, impressionable, uh, one of the, the shows on television that I really enjoyed was the show Star Trek. Any Star Trek fans? Yeah, a lot of you. <laughs> um, I told John Sporeleader that I was going to be talking about Star Trek today, and his heart just swelled. <laughs> and I just got one of these from Dwayne Bridges, so... <laughs> um, <clears throat> and for some of you, uh, and I'm talking about Star Trek, the original series, and for some of you doing the math and thinking, wow, you're older than I thought you were, uh, this was already in syndication. I was watching reruns, so I, I wasn't quite that old, but, but I loved this show. And one of the, the key elements on that show that was one of my favorite things was this idea of the transporter. Remember the transporter? Now, John Sporleader from that single frame already knows which episode this is. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Although a lot of you may too. This is a pretty uh, uh, quintessential episode. But the transporter was this thing by which they were, as you might imagine, transported from, this is on the, the deck of their, their spaceship, the Starship Enterprise, and they'd be beamed down to a planet surface or sometimes beamed over to another ship, another vessel, and they could be beamed back. And there was this, uh, you know, often you would see Captain Kirk open his communicator and say, beam us up, Scotty. Beam me up, right? I loved this idea, this concept. I thought this was so great. I still think this is so great. I traveled uh, uh, about a week ago, and any time I travel, I just think, wouldn't this be amazing? What if I could just step into a chamber and say, beam me to Grand Rapids, Michigan? instead of being wedged in a middle seat in coach with no leg room and a cold. <laughs> Wouldn't this be great? And so imagine my excitement when about a year and a half ago now, I read this headline that said that scientists had successfully teleported an item from Earth into space. I was over the moon. I thought, this is it. It's happening. It's finally happening. This thing that I've been dreaming of since I was a kid, like we're, we're getting close, right? <clears throat> Not right. It was far less exciting when I actually clicked on the article and opened it and read it. It's a team of Chinese scientists. And what they actually teleported from Earth into space was a photon. Now... <laughs> For those of you uh, that maybe don't completely know, a photon is a subatomic particle. It is smaller than an atom. It is one of the elemental particles that carries light along with, they believe, other electromagnetic radiation. Uh, it's, it's this tiny thing. And then I read further, and the reality is they didn't really beam a photon even from here to there. What they did was they duplicated all of the specific properties of a photon here and copied them to a photon there so that they sort of, you know, they recreated the photon someplace else, but it didn't actually move. Does that make sense? And I was so heartbroken because, as it turns out, we're really not all that close to me being able to beam places, you know. But the reality of it is, as small a thing as that is, this idea of, of just a, 
a photon, just a, <coughs> excuse me, a tiny, tiny thing. And it not even really being moved, it's sort of being copied and, and duplicated. The reality is that's still a really big deal. Scientists were really excited about this. They said, you don't understand. I mean, we've done this before on a much smaller scale over much smaller distances, but to be able to do this into space, into this Chinese satellite that was up there, <coughs> this, this could bring about uh, advances in communication. It could bring about advances in computing. It could bring about advances in all sorts of things. It really, really was very exciting, but to me, it just sort of seemed like this small, insignificant thing because I wanted Paul McDonald to be transported someplace, you know, like beam me up. As you grab your Bibles and turn this morning to the book of Mark, there's this seemingly really small thing that Jesus, in fact, turns into kind of a big thing. And he puts his finger on it and points out that this is an important thing that's happening. Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to start in verse 41. Now, uh, we've come from this series of interactions that Jesus has had with some of the, the leaders, the religious leaders in particular of his day. Uh, Pastor Matt last week preached on a, a, a section that in Matthew is much larger than, than Mark uh, gives uh, lip service to. Mark just it goes from verse 38 through verse 40 in kind of that extended section that you looked at together that Matthew kind of fleshes out. But this is in that same sort of setting. And it says in verse 41 that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Um, to, to give you an idea of maybe what this looked like, the, the, the temple we may have, I, I think, talked about before, there's the main temple courtyard, and then sort of outside of that was the court of the women. Only men were, were allowed inside sort of the inner courtyard, and so outside that, you had the courtyard of the women. And then outside of that, you had a courtyard for Gentiles. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, weren't even allowed inside that point. And along that wall, uh, as you went from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women, there was this series of, uh, it was thought to be 13 collection basins. Uh, they were fashioned to look sort of like trumpets, evidently. And this was for free will offering. This wasn't part of, uh, of the sacrificial system that the law actually prescribed. This was just a completely free will offering. And part of what I love about this, this little scene is just that Jesus and the disciples who are with him are just sort of sitting there watching. You know, there's sort of this pause in all the going on. There's, there's been all sorts of teaching there have been miracles. There have been these conversations with Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. But now they're just kind of hanging out, which is just sort of sweet to me. And I don't know if you ever people watch. I told you I, I, just, I just traveled last week. And, you know, sometimes the airport is just such a great place for people watching, right? You just sort of sit and you're waiting anyway. You're not really doing anything. Just observing, you know, what people are doing. Sometimes 
chuckling to myself, you know, sometimes wondering what, what's going on, what the story behind that is. And this is what they're doing. They're sort of sitting together, you know, and they're watching. And as they watch, people, as they would do, are putting offerings into these collection containers. What, what here is referred to as a box, but, you know, whatever they specifically looked like, people are, are putting these things in. And this happened probably day in and day out. There wasn't really anything particularly unusual about this. And Mark, in the second half of that verse, says that many rich people put in large sums. So he paints this picture where there are people who everybody just sort of understood as being rich people. Maybe from reputation, but maybe because of the way they carried themselves, you know. There's a certain pompousness that comes with richness sometimes, you know, not, not for everybody, but, you know, the, the style of clothing and the, the quality of clothing, perhaps, and just the amount that they were putting in. Because I think what's probably going on is that some of these offerings, as they're going into these collection containers, this is happening kind of publicly, right? That, you know, somebody's sort of pausing and saying, Oh, let's see. I wanted to put in a thousand gold pieces today, right? Was that was that right, sweetie? Is that what I said? A thousand? You know, one, two. You know, they're kind of making a scene of it, right? We know, we know. And so they're watching this. These people moving in and out of the temple, in and out of the courtyard here, putting in their offerings, and some of them were really. Big, extravagant, significant offerings. Excuse me. Still trying to get over the aforementioned cold. And then verse 42 says, A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Uh, Some of your translations may have in the text there, you might have a footnote, it says two leptas. You know, it's kind of a, we're talking about ancient worlds and ancient money systems. Sometimes it's hard to get a handle on what exactly that means. We're told here it's sort of like a penny. It might be a little different than what you and I would consider like a penny, but some of you might have a footnote there that says, this is thought to be one sixty-fourth of a denarii. And a denarii, some of you might remember, was sort of considered a day's wage. So consider one sixty-fourth of a day's wage, right? Or if you want to break it down just a little bit farther for you and I, you know, our standard work day maybe is eight hours. So one-eighth of an hour's wage. So for you, I mean, maybe think about how much, even if you have to estimate, how much you make in an hour. How much do you make for an hour's work? Anywhere from, you know, minimum wage up to, I don't know, you know, (laughs) Think about an hour and then divide that into eight. And think of an eighth of that amount. It's, I mean, I did just some quick math. It's in the neighborhood of a couple bucks to a few bucks maybe, you know. That's how much. So it's not maybe a penny for us, but you understand, I think, it's not a lot either. It's, it's referred to here as, as a penny because these were the smallest coins that were minted by the Roman Empire. 
But I, I just want to put it into some kind of perspective for you and I. So, you know, a few dollars, $2, $3, maybe $5, maybe for some of you, you know, maybe that's $15. I mean, I don't know. But you understand? It's not extravagant. And they're watching all of these people, some of whom are putting in really large gifts. And they observe this poor widow who put in these coins, these two lepta. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. It's an amazing thing to say. And I don't know how much they all saw. You know, as Jesus calls his disciples together, he says, hey, that woman put in more. You know, some of them may have said, well, what woman? I, I'm not really sure. I, you know, maybe he had to explain to them, oh, she just put in these two lepta. But what I want you to understand is that she's put in more than everybody. And, and the language almost allows for this idea that she put in more than the sum of all of the other people even. I mean, he might not have been making quite that extravagant a statement. But he said it's, it was a lot more. Now, first of all, that's amazing. Because, again, this is one of those sort of subtle miracles. Just the fact that Jesus knows that. He knows who this is. He knows how much she has put in. She probably didn't make a giant show of it and said, one lepta, two lepta, you know. But he knows. And he says, she just put in more than everybody else, which is a strange statement because this seems like this is really insignificant. And it's important that Mark has put in that little clause before this. It says, listen, some of these people were putting in a lot of money. There were some wealthy people who were putting in a ton. But Jesus then goes on to explain. For they all contributed out of their abundance. In fact, some of your translations may even say they contributed out of their surplus, right? What's a surplus? You know what a surplus is? It's the extra, right? And if I sit down and I add up my bills for the month, and then I add up how much money I have, the difference between what I owe and what I have, that's surplus, right? It's just extra. And Jesus says, well, they've all given out of this surplus, this abundance. So, yeah, they've given out. And now I, I want to be really careful here. <clears throat> I think if we're not cautious, we might think that Jesus is bad-mouthing those people and, and the gifts that they gave. I don't think that's quite what he's doing. You understand? But he's making a very clear point. He said that what was given there was extra. It was surplus. Nobody's hurting for giving what they gave. Nobody in th that has made these really large extravagant gifts, nobody there is at risk of 
crimping their lifestyle a single bit. Nobody's going to miss any meals. Nobody's going to miss rent or a car payment or a chariot payment, you know. It's out of surplus. It's not that big a deal in a certain way. Yet this woman, he says, but she, out of her poverty, and remember Mark told us this is a poor widow. And let me just remind you that in their culture, in their society, being a widow was far more detrimental even than in our society. I mean, it's not like this was somebody who could just go get work. Maybe she didn't have a family to care for. It was really tough to be a single female in their culture. It was devastating. And she clearly is poor. And Jesus says, out of her poverty, she put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. I mean, just stop and think about that for a minute. Even if it's not like a penny penny, you know, to you and I, one cent, one one-hundredth one of a dollar. Maybe it's five dollars, right? But if five dollars was all you had to your name, like that's literally what you had on which to live, Can you imagine that? I'm not even sure I can imagine that. I've never been close to that, you know? And that was it. That's what what she had to live on. And, And what is that like if you have just a couple, a handful of dollars to live on? You're not thinking about surplus. You're thinking about how do I, what am I going to eat? How do I stretch this out? Who's got not just ramen, but ramen on sale, you know, where I can go get some really cheap meals for 11 cents a meal or something? I mean, this is it. This is what I have. Can you just imagine? And she takes that and puts it into this offering. And some scholars have pointed out at times that, well, that's because the the two lepta was sort of the the minimum offering that rabbis said you had to give. That's not true in this case. That was true in other cases, but this is a free will offering. She is under zero compulsion to give anything. But she takes this tiny amount that's everything that she has and puts it into that collection container. And Jesus says, come here, come here. I want you to see something. I want you to see what just happened. You have no idea how significant a thing she just did. (laughs) You have no clue the magnitude of what she has just put into that collection container. And you have sat here, perhaps, you know, we're reading between the lines. He doesn't say this, but maybe you've sat here and you've watched some of these really big, extravagant gifts. 
you know, you've watched the guy come over and say, hey, is there another one of these containers? All my stuff won't fit in here, you know. Excuse me. We've seen some really large gifts, but what just happened right there, she just gave more than everybody. I love this. I love him putting his finger on this. And in this quiet moment is there kind of people watching, saying, come here. Come here. I want you to see this. Why on earth would this woman do this? Why would she do it? I mean, we hold this up as a very admirable thing. Jesus holds this up as a very admirable thing. But I want to suggest there can be really only two reasons that she would do this. And I think that both are true. Number one, it's because she loves the Lord that much. I mean, isn't it as simple as that? What causes you to take everything you have left and say, this is what I want to do with it? Well, it's love for him. It's love for his house. It's love for his ministry. It's, it's love for that work. It was more important for her to be part of what God was doing in her world than to hang on to this money, even though it was the last thing that she had. <clears throat> but the other reason that, that I think goes hand in hand with this is that she seems not to have any concern. She loves God. She wants to be part of this. She wants to partake in, in what's happening with all of these people putting things into this collection box. But she also doesn't seem to have any concern for what's going to happen to her. Why? Is it because she's dumb? She's foolish? No, I want to suggest it's because she also has a huge trust in her God. That he'll care, that he'll care for her. That he will provide for her. And so, she takes these little coins. That's it. It's the last thing that she has. But she has this excitement born out of her love for God and carried along by her trust of God. And she says, it's okay, I'm going to put this right there. Now, if you're new with us here this morning, depending on what your background is, I, you know, it's possible some of you are rolling your eyes and saying, oh, gee, here's where pastor talks about how much money we give. No, I'm not. I'm really not. If you've been around for a while, you know we don't do that. And we don't. This has nothing to do with the offerings being low last week or any. I mean, there's, not, there's nothing like that. And in fact, part of what Jesus is saying is the actual amount that was given, that's kind of not the important issue here. What's important is the heart out of which that was given. That's what was important. And she had a heart who loved her God, and she had a heart who trusted her God. And when given an opportunity to put into this collection, so that's okay, I can put all of this here. It's another one of these stories where don't you wish you knew what happened with this woman afterward? 
you know, we, our, our addiction to fairy tales, you know, is such that we wish there were an epilogue where, where Jesus then says, poof, now you're wealthier, you know. We don't get that. I don't know if it happened, if it didn't happen. It's immaterial to the story. If God needed us to know that, he would have told us about it, right? Here's what he wants us to see. When Paul writes in his letter to the church in Corinth that we read from earlier, and he's talking about this collection that he's taking up on, on some of his missionary travels. He finds out that the, the, the Christians that are living in Jerusalem, they're poverty-stricken. They're, they're really hurting. And so he starts taking up this collection from some of the other churches, some of which were actually pretty wealthy. And he's written to this church in Corinth, and he's just reminded them, you know, I'm going to be taking up this collection. But as part of this conversation, he talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want them to be under compulsion. He's not going to look at their records. He's not going to check their their tax return from last year and say, okay, now let me see. (laughs) He says, they're hurting. I'm going to bring up this collection. You should be a cheerful giver because you love your God. And because you trust your God and you trust that he's going to provide for you. You don't, as it needs, as it, as it turns out, you don't need to be stingy with what you have. And think, well, I better only give if I've got this surplus. He says, you should purpose in your heart, this is what I'm going to give on the first day of the week. And if you get to that first day of the week and that's not part of your surplus, you go ahead and do it. Because you love your God that much, you love his people that much, you love his work that much, and you trust him that much to be able to let go of that and say, it's okay. And the specific amount is not what's important. It's the heart behind that giving, isn't it? This is hard for us. I mean, as I thought about this and studied this and grappled with this. I mean, I check my own faith. I think if one of you came to me and said, this is it, this is all I have, maybe it's $100, you know, way more than, you know, she has in this story. This is it, I'm kind of down to this, and I want this to go to the church. I feel like I might try and talk you out of that. Isn't that awful? <laughs> but I feel like I'd say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, what, you know, what are you going to do? Do you have any plans? Do you have any? It's too bad. That sometimes we don't have, I think, both the level of love for God and the level of trust of God to be able to say, it doesn't matter. It's okay. This is what I purpose in my heart. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to give. This is what I'm going to do. Not because it's a huge amount, but it's a sacrificial amount. There's a difference, isn't there? It's not the amount of the gift that is nearly as important to Jesus as the, the magnitude of the sacrifice. And that's what he says here. Is she sacrificed way more than anybody else we've just seen. I just want to remind you what that looked like 
for Jesus himself. As we consider what he sacrificed, as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper together, that God himself laid aside that privilege, stepped out of his heavenly realm, and took on humanity in its fullness, and took on suffering and hardship and ridicule, a tough, tough life. Not just a human life, but a really hard one. Even to the point that he was executed as a criminal on a cross in about the worst way the Roman Empire could conceive. This is what Jesus sacrificed. And so for one who sacrifices like this to see this in someone else and say, come here, (laughs) look at this, look at this. What is your heart like? Do you have a heart of sacrifice because you love your God and because you trust your God? Or do you have a heart this morning that's maybe a little stingy because you're either worried that you might not be provided for or because maybe you don't have that great a love for him? I don't know. But I love this sweet woman being raised up as an example by Jesus as they sit and watch this. And he says, look how much she gave because that's everything. She gave it all. She just put it all in that box as a gift to God. What a wonderful example. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this precious example. God, of course, to an even greater degree, we thank you for Jesus and for his example. That as we talk about what it means, what it looks like to give sacrificially, there is no greater example than you. As we see Jesus sacrifice everything for our sake. We thank you, God. We love you. We ask that you continue to make us in your image, that we would be like you in this regard, that we would have such a love for you and such a trust in you that will follow that example and that will be sacrificial with our lives, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's talent, that will truly sacrifice out of a deep love and trust of you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.